Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Lorehammer Listener Lore, the Warhammer 40k podcast where you get to write the script. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show and maybe even jump your story in the line or maybe even read stories with me or maybe you have a story you would like to read to me, head on over to Patreon at Lorehammer Listener Lore and check out all the cool ways to get involved and support the show. Enjoy. Welcome to Lorehammer Listener Lore, the 40k podcast where you get to write the script. I'm your host, Mark, and uh, joining me today, I got one of my homies, Colin. Welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. Oh, listen to that voice. You may recognize it from none other than Cold Open Stories, a show that does what I'm doing just infinitely better. <laughs> well, uh, we, we we have different, we have some differences. We have audiences. Warhammer is so rich and so large. You, you can do many different things. So mm-hmm. happy to be on the show and to be reading some of the, the content that people submitted for you. So this is very exciting. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Um, we're doing a Tao story. So let's just jump right into it. This one is called Canovar Step by Edward. Origins. Founded during the second sphere of expansion, the Tau settlement on the planet Canovar largely consisted of agricultural land and supplied more valuable portions of the empire with the additional necessities they required. It was an idyllic and peaceful planet, but this all changed in 813 M41, when the dormant population of the Sotek dynasty of Necrons, commanded by overlord Zandrek, overwhelmed the limited defense force within two weeks. However, the vast majority of the civilian population were able to evacuate. Due to the heroic sacrifice of 90% of the firecast, with all the ethereals and firecast commanders killed or captured. Okay, bleak already. (laughs) It's it's interesting because we, we know that with the Imperium, when contrasted to the Tau, have very different ideas on what makes a heroic sacrifice. Uh, we know that the the Imperium, you know, anything that's a Pyrrhic victory is still a victory, and any and no <laughs> sacrifice is too great for the Imperium. But we know through through Tau fiction that you know a a heroic sacrifice is actually lamentable, and they will would not traditionally stage a last stand because they would rather be clever and survive and yeah. you know continue to fight from a different angle. So where like uh, the goal with the Imperium sometimes is to become a martyr absolutely and so the idea of a heroic sacrifice by the firecast it's it would either be something that's incredibly dire or it's something that would indicate a large failing by the tau force so it it would be interesting whether or not the ethereals themselves would consider it a heroic sacrifice or if they would consider it a devastating failure um that you know 90 percent of the 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 cast destroyed well there's going to be different opinions within, you know, the, the Tau Empire of how that could be uh, be regarded. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe all the fire cast warriors are like, man, that was brutal. But all the other, all the other casts, like the water and the air casts are like, that, thank you. That was awesome. Like you saved our whole cast, but yeah. Very lamentable, of course. Yeah. Cool. Next part. Evacuation. The remaining population found themselves in disarray. With the ethereals gone, the Tau of Canovar found themselves without leadership, and their communication systems were out of range. They had heard stories of the terrible fates of Seps, which had lost their ethereals. So, to prevent panic, a council was formed of the four most senior personnel. Shasnel Canovar Vrapin, Poro Canovar Hovaira, Theo Canovar Draus, and Koro Canovar Varna. They quickly arrived at the conclusion that despite the sense of a weight lifting from their shoulders, their conviction to spread the greater good was not diminished by the removal of the ethereals. If anything, the sept became closer knit, and when, ten years later, they finally managed to make contact with another sept, their fire cast were essential in quashing a high fleet gorgon incursion on Cytheria, and found with both greater aggression and discipline that their Borokan sept counterparts. In the aftermath of the battle, Shas-o Borkan Rilbin designated Cytheria as the new homeworld for the Canovar Sept and left a small portion of his forces to bring the survivors up to strength. Cool. I really like like that uh, that part where they set up the council. And for those those of you who don't know Tao language, they did uh, Shas, they did a Por, they did a foe, and they did a core. So they actually took you know the senior members from each each of the casts and you know put them together for the for the council it, it is it is a that idea of a, a democratic system you know existing within within the tower of uh not democratic but every cast has its place and mm -hmm. with the lack of an ethereal there is no other ethereal to rise up so yeah. it's the idea of let's bring the remaining ones together what yeah. would be interesting to see in the sequel is you know <laughs> how how a a cast with the tower would exist with this latent idea of can the cast work together without an ethereal or will mm -hmm. the earth cast harden will the fire uh cast be just too inflammatory with their aggression will the uh, the air cast find themselves dissociating with their their peers kind yeah. of what we expect of those those cultural traits you know will there be pressures from within uh yeah. the circle well from what we've read in the story you know still essential in um meeting up uh with borkan and you know trying to get survivors up to strength yeah. Yeah. It, the one flaw I can see in this system too. Yeah. You're kind of mentioning it. There's only four people, so there's no tiebreaker vote. So I wonder what happens in that situation. If they can't come to a decision, what they do with that. Cause yeah, maybe that is the time that the fire cast guy is like, nah, no, 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 no. I'll arm wrestle you for it. Or, you know, yeah. might start pulling some more of that physical army behind them. Well, we, we know that the, the, the Tau prior to, you know, ethereal guidance, and I use air quotes, big G guidance, um, <laughs> is, is really was they were a species at war with each other. And so in a way, you know, there's this domineering presence of the ethereals that keep things in check. What's interesting is what is a Tau without the cast, you know, being kept in harmony with each other? How long does that carry out? Do new characters or or obligations or or passions emerge? It, it's something that you know I specifically, as a reader, uh, don't mind uh, writers exploring. You know, break yeah. the mold, see what would be different, because otherwise, every forty k story would be the same. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, the next part is called Homeworld. Previously, an Imperial-controlled jungle planet in the Ultima Segmentum, 
Sithiria was annexed into the greater good by the Borkan Steppe during the third sphere of expansion. Although the majority of the population has been pacified by the time that Canvo Steppe arrived, there are still small bands of the Sithiria 22nd and Katachin 97 regiments still waging a guerrilla warfare against the Tau. Through a combination of the environment of Sithiria and the devastation caused by the Sotek dynasty attack, the Canovar Sep had very few battlesuits, instead fielding large number of pathfinders, strike teams, and Guvesa auxiliaries, often trained as breacher teams, in keeping with their natural affinity to guerrilla warfare. Cool. So interesting. By this point, I think that we've uh, done a, a, enough of understanding the sort of world building that's going on. And we start to look at some of the other components of the actual grammatical structure. Um, for anyone listening to us, you know, Tao is kind of hard to uh, talk off the uh, off the cuff here. Uh, mm -hmm. And especially when we just talk about writing, you know, longer sentences, this descriptive language, a lot of um, a lot of very long sentences that, you know, you're trying to find what the subject may be, you know. Um, uh, because we've got a Sautek dynasty attack, but there's the auxiliaries, and we've also got a combination of the environment of Sithiria. Um, in terms of just writing structure, for anyone who's looking at writing their 40k, it's okay to, you know, make some small punchy statements and, you know, really focus in on what is the the, the subject. In this particular case, we're learning a little bit more about the, the world that was previously annexed. I won't lie. I really want to hear more about these those four senior personnel. I want to hear more about how mm -hmm. they influence the the war effort, how they continue, you know, this conflict with the the Necron. So, yeah. you know, this segment not as engaging for me, but I, it's because I'm I've all right. You've teased me with some important <laughs> people. Now, who are they? Yeah, 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 for sure. The one thing I did like about this segment, though, was. Uh the Gruvesa. So, you know, there's a bunch of human auxiliaries on the planet. There's some Katachin guys and like, yeah, I could, there's some kind of negotiations and kind of trade-offs there when you have all these different factions on this planet, you know? Yeah. I like too, that you can then start to clearly see how this person is putting their army together. Um, I always like that when you can directly tie your lore into how your army is on the battlefield, you know? Yeah. We can look at those breacher teams and see they are uh, Gruvesa, you know? Why don't you have a lot of battle suits? Oh, well, actually, because the dynasty, the Sotek dynasty happened, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's creating a, a good tie-in, at least to the, the tabletop environment of, well, these are the models that I have to play with, or, you know, these are the ones that I've decided to actually, you know, build my... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. My story and my, my army around. Yeah, for sure. Chasse o Zotten. In 837 M41, Shas O. Zotin returned to the Sept. He was presumed dead after Xandrek's assault on Canavar. However, she was in fact one of ten commanders captured during the conflict with Xandrek. The Overlord had received some form of brain damage during the Great Sleep, causing him to believe that all of his enemies are rebellious Necrontier who must be brought back into the fold. Thus, he tends to uphold the Necrontier Battle Code of Honor and captures the leaders of opposing forces rather than killing them. 
Shortly after the Necron victory, Corsaro Khan arrived, leading a White Scar strike team to purge the Tau. They were taken by surprise and entirely wiped out by the Necron, with only Khan being taken to join Zotin and their other captives in the underground prison. The prisoners, led by Zahn and Illic Nightspear, hatched a daring escape. Zotin's subordinates were all killed in the course of the escape, and she herself was injured. Khan and Nightspear were allowed to leave the planet after a confrontation with Oberon, Zandric's advisor, because the Overlord admired Khan's swordsmanship. Zotin used this exchange as an opportunity to reclaim her Cold Star battlesuit and escaped off-world a month later in a Doom Scythe. She crashed onto the nearby planet of Shardinus. There she was captured and interrogated by the Inquisition, who were maintaining an occupation of the world after the Iron Hands chapter had purged the Chaos Incursion a year prior. However, the Inquisitor's attention was diverted to a small gene-stealer cult growing within the planet's population, and Zotin was scheduled to be executed. She managed to evade her captors prior to the execution, killing seven Imperial agents in the process. She was pursued by Inquisitor Hosea Fleek, so went into hiding on the desert world of Najadar. In late 836 M41, she managed to hitch a ride with a Demiurg mining vessel to the Sasea Sept, from where she discovered the fate of her people, and hastened to join them on their new homeworld. She now commands their firecast, leading a crusade to protect the vast number of planets annexed from the, the Imperium on the eastern fringe. Interesting. So there's a lot of big name characters. And while you're reading, I just did a quick search. So um, there is like Iliac Nightspear and Corsero mm -hmm. Can being captured by uh, Sandrick. And that all happens in the lore. So yeah. it's interesting that this person has tied that in. And yeah, you know, if they're capturing all these other people, maybe, yeah, you can just sneak your guy in just that little bit. Mm -hmm. it, it's the, the idea of trying to say, let's turn the camera from the main plot of the, the books or the series or whatnot and say what's happening with person in the background number 341. And it did a great job of it because, it, yeah, he didn't say like, and then I saved Corsero Can, you know, like didn't yeah. take it over, didn't, didn't make his person this, the main focus of the story. Yeah. Now that said, with name dropping large names in 40K, if you don't know who these people are, you're just getting a lot of names that mm -hmm. don't carry as much, you know, uh, you know, nuance. I feel that uh, Corsero Khan was actually, you know, built up enough in this so you can get an idea of, oh, uh, you know, uh, the sword play, the White Scar Strike team, you know, you can uh, have an understanding of, of this background. But, you know, the, the drops of the Iron Hands, you know, uh, Oberyn is just mentioned, but you know, it's very fleeting. Illic Nightspear, um, yeah. th those, you know, you're like, okay, it's kind of like when you're, you know, uh, watching a movie for the first time, you're like, who's that person? And you're like, don't worry, don't worry. They'll be important later. That's kind of what, what occurs when you do this. And it yeah. hopefully for some readers, it'll encourage them, you know, to go, you know, look up who they are and see what those stories are. Well, that's exactly what happened for me. Uh, when he wrote it, I literally just started pulling up Wikipedia pages and like, oh, did this actually, oh, this is pretty cool all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So, hey, you got, he got my, uh, got my Google search going. Mm -hmm. The current state of the Sept. The Tau of Canovar Sept are waging war on many fronts with strike forces helping the Borkin Sept hold the line against Imperial advances along the length of the Eastern Fringe whilst patrols hunt down the remainders of the Imperial Guard forces on Cytheria. They are the designated protectorate of five other nearby colonies and defend these against raids from the sneaky zogs, zoggies, <laughs> wog from Krolkil 
in the Octaria sector. High Fleet Niamos. Man, that's not even a word I'm going to say. Let's spell it out for people, though. M-N-E-M-O-S-Y-N-E, a splinter feat of High Fleet Gorgon. Strike forces of the craft world. Kijan, just another string of letters that doesn't really mean anything perfect. I love it. Who had fled to the Eastern Fringe after the fall of the Eldar. And Overlord Xandrek's forces spread discord throughout the sector as they attempted to bring more worlds into the Necron fold. Pressing in on all sides by unnumbered threats, they are lucky that the Adeptus Ministrarum have forgotten the existence of the world. But with the recent Brazen Claws attacks against the Tau Empire, the residents live in constant fear of Imperial retribution. Now, before we blow through, I believe it's Menosine and Craftworld Kaiju Kainen, which is <laughs> kind of like Kaiju, like, you know, big fighting monsters, but bringing back to the story. You know what this strikes me as? This strikes me as a little bit of these are the battles that have actually been played mm -hmm. on the tabletop and it's trying to you know weave a little bit of like a setting around what was played yeah 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 because now all of a sudden brazen claws are there all these this orc wogs there yeah i could see that um i like when people do that uh like you kind of kind of said in the last segment though you start tossing out these big words and then these ones i know aren't real but uh yeah it, it's just it's a lot of information to try to unpack but Bring back the four. I would want to hear yeah. more of how, you know, uh, I assume that, you know, those could be characters that are, you know, uh, custom made to play in the army. You know, if they're leading the force or a kill team or whatnot, like would really love to, to see how that affects the, the story of the state of the sept. Um, yeah. Forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad that they were never touched on again. Cause that was definitely the most interesting aspect of, of the story for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it was all in all a pretty good story. You know, it had a beginning, a middle and an end. And that is what I look for in most stories. It's, it's, you know, this is, this is a great introduction to some world building and starting to, to get the idea of some characters. My feedback for the author would be to, to really go back and try to figure out what the, the immediate wants, needs and conflicts are for the, the council of the four, uh, because there is a lot of internal character drama that can be played there. And with the, the Gevesa, um, you know, you can have how they relate to the, the Tau, but maybe they're interacting with each of the four sets differently, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I wonder if there is like, uh... there. Yeah, I wonder if there is like a Gubessa kind of guy who does eventually kind of join the council, maybe just as like an advisor or an outside faction. But uh, yeah, well, like we know there's... that humans humans ruin everything. So <laughs> if, if there's a, a human advisor to each of the four, I don't know if we should be listening to them. Things will turn into war a lot quicker. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely would like to see more of them for sure. Um, but hey, that's to be cool. continued. To be, to, to be continued. There's some cool battles. There's some cool stuff that's happening. Um, yeah, like even even like the Firecast guy, like who comes back, how does he then integrate with that council? Does he remove the previous senior Firecast member? Does he get, you know, taken off the council and now Shasso Zotin is on that council? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they just need some more. It it does it does feel to, uh, to me though you know this this is still a springboard to play more games. There isn't there isn't mm -hmm. an end fate for the Tower of Canovar. There isn't a uh, a, a period at the end of the sentence. This is something that's developing. Sure. Um, so that makes it interesting, you know, to continue the story, to figure out the characters, to figure out, you know, what sort of adventures and insanity they will encounter. Um, something that, you know, hopefully you'll see in a future submission. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Well, that was fantastic. Thank you so much to Edward for sharing that. And Colin, thank you so much for taking the time.
Uh, oh, no worries. Happy to be here. Yeah. And everyone, go make sure you check out Cold Open Stories because it is truly incredible works of works of fiction, works of art. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've we've got uh, it's coldopenstories.com. We have our uh, uh, short fiction anthology. We have the fast fiction writing contest and we have full immersive audio dramas uh, featuring global talent, uh, you know, Nickelodeon. BBC, Ubisoft, you know, genres that you've come to uh, to hear and love, uh, all doing 40K uh, content, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's truly some of the best 40K content out there for sure. Like, uh, you know, if you, if we have a Stardust as the benchmark for video content, we got cold open stories for the benchmark for audio content for you're gonna, sure. You're going you're gonna to make me cry, Mark. That's very <laughs> kind of you to say. Yeah, man. Um, well, I love it. Thanks for joining me, Colin. Till next time. Till next time. Thanks for listening. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page and support the show at Lorehammer Listener Lore. See you next episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.